Pastor Kevin called and said, Jeff, I want you to teach on the weekend that I'm installed, and I want you to teach a message about leadership. I'm like, oh, Kevin, I love the topic of leadership, and I've thought about that a lot of my life and um, studied that, read books on it, but I've never taught a sermon about leadership. So I'd ask you this question to get started with. Some of you are Bible scholars here. If you were going to teach a sermon about leadership, what chapter of the Bible would you go to that teaches about leadership? And there's a lot of different things, and you'll see I, I move around quite a bit today. But Pastor Kevin, there's no single chapter about leadership. There's no single uh, description from the Bible about leadership. And so I'm going to try to take all that I've learned personally, what I think God's taught me, some scripture verses, and I'm going to try to put all that together in something meaningful for you today. And I'm going to end with a pretty strong challenge uh, to, to finish out today. So, Kevin, when you asked me that question, first off, um, I thought about a leadership conference I went to. And at the beginning of this conference, at this breakout session I was at, the leader of that breakout session said this question, and it's on your notes and it's on the screen, I, I think, as well. And that is, when is the first time you thought of yourself as a leader? And some of you right now did exactly what I did. I, I rolled the back in my head of all those memories early on. And I'm saying, oh, this was, but it was before that and, and before that. And I came up with the first time that I thought of myself as a leader. Uh, my parents owned greenhouses in town, and I worked my butt off. Are you allowed to say the word butt in here? I just did. Uh, I worked my butt off there. But when I was about 12 years old, um, after working there for a lot of years and a lot of hours, uh, the, the manager put me in charge of the dirt delivery. And I know that doesn't make any sense to you, not from greenhouse world, but these flats have dirt in them, and you have to get twos or threes or fours, the kind of dirt, the type of soil, based on where it's needed to go. And so uh, the manager would show me around and say, Jeffrey, which by the way, you're not allowed to call me Jeffrey, that was my name when I was 12. Uh, we need to have fours in this, uh, this tomatoes, and we need to make sure we have the special soil here for the vegetables, and here's where we're going to plant the marigolds, and they'll be in this kind. And so I then had a crew of four or five people that went and got the dirt from the dirt barn, and uh, it makes sense, right? And we had to get set up for the transplanters the next day. And I tell you what, that was the first time that I realized as a 12-year-old that I was leading people, some of them 20, 30, you know, years, even my senior, to get a job done well. But that manager of the greenhouses, and I don't think it was just because I was the, the boss's kid, I think he knew I would get the job done well. I think he, he saw something in me and he said, you're going to lead. You're going to lead well. And so the question is, when did you first think of yourself as a leader? For me, it was when I was about 12 years old. And, and I guess I want to take you right to the Bible because so many times Paul talks about gifts and there's gifts of servants and uh, gift of, of care and there's a pastoral side. But in Romans 12:8, the apostle Paul in the book of Romans challenges all the church in the city of Rome. And he says, if you have this gift, use it. If you have this gift, use it. And he gets to Romans 12, 8, and he says this, if you have the gift of leadership, then lead with all diligence. And first off, the Bible identifies a gift of leadership, not just a skill, not just a proclivity for, but a Holy Spirit-given gift of leadership. And then it goes on to say, lead with all diligence. And I don't know what phrases or thoughts come to your head when you hear the phrase diligence. But that means you're going to do it with your whole heart. You're going to go learn how to become even more skilled and develop your leadership gift to its maximum potential. There's no such thing as a person who has a gift of leadership 
that does it halfway in the kingdom of God. And so when I read 12, Romans 12, 8 again in preparation for today, I'm like, I challenge all of us, if you have the gift of leadership, then lead with all diligence. Has somebody ever said to you, you're a leader? When I said, when, when, when was the first time you thought of yourself as a leader? I'll bet a lot of you in this room said, oh, I remember. It was when I was this year's old, or when I had my first job, or when at school they had me be the captain, and, and I did this thing where I was the, the coordinator or the leader for that group that I was a part of. Do you remember the first time somebody called you a leader and said about you, I think you have leadership skills and abilities? Because that's a great place to start us today. Pastor Kevin put our blue momentum banner right in the front of your church. And I think you're kind of going through a whole series about each of those factors. And the goal is to have every church in our class is not be so-so, but to gain momentum. Density and intensity of disciples times alignment and focus of what your church is about. And one of the key factors is leadership. And so we're asking every RCA church, where are you at in developing high-caliber, diligently-focused, Holy Spirit-gifted leaders in your church? And so we came across that topic for today, which I'm excited about doing with you. So here's the outline for today. First one, who is a leader? Second one, what a leader does. And like I said, I'm going to end with a few very specific questions for your church. All right, here we go. Who are the great leaders in politics? How many of you love, I'm just kidding, I'm just, yeah, just a joke, just wanted to see what you would do with that. I was waiting for you to come up and say, uh, you're done now, you're done. Great leader in politics, we'll debate that later. Great leaders in business, great leaders in sports. Some of you know sports leaders who are just high cap, not just because of their skill, but because of the way they lead. We as a culture see and identify great leaders in almost every place. But two words rarely associated with the greatest leaders in business, sports, and politics are the two words I want to focus on today, holy and humble. And I tell you what, just like so many things in Jesus' kingdom, it's turned upside down because some of the greatest leaders in politics, business, and sports are not holy and they're not humble. But every great leader in the kingdom of God is holy and humble. And I got this leadership development book called Leadership Essentials by Greg Ogden. It says, Shaping Vision, Multiplying Influence, and Defining Character. And we've had all of our leaders at the church I get to serve as a leader at go through this material, step by step, asking, how are we doing? And Kevin, I'm going to give you uh, this copy as a gift for you today. I'm not sure if you'll use that material or something else, but as you raise up leaders in this church, your first challenge, I believe, is to go after the first two chapters of that book, and that is to be holy and humble. So here's the question. Who is a leader? And on page 17 of that book, it asks this catechism question. Some of you remember the Heidelberg Catechism? It was a question and an answer. Okay, this is like that, but even better, all right? Uh, here's the question. What is the preeminent quality of Christ's character that informs the life of disciples who lead others? I'll read it one more time. What is the preeminent quality of Christ's character that informs the life of disciples who lead others? And after I get done reading this answer... I'm going to ask you guys to tell me what stands out to you as important words or phrases. 
I'm going to start with this side because clearly you're the smarter folks. Uh, I, I'm going to ask you what, what stands out to you because a few of these words I hope just resonate with you and say that's important. So the question again, what is the preeminent quality of Christ's character that informs the life of disciples who lead others? Here's Greg Ogden's answer. Leading disciples, which even that phrase is cool, they're disciples but they're leading disciples, fix their gaze on the holiness of Christ and seek to reflect this holiness in the character and the conduct of their own lives. This holiness is a blend of moral purity, spiritual produce, sacred purpose, and transcendent power. Somebody from this side, shout out what words or phrases from that response definition stand out to you. Go ahead, fire away. What stands out? Okay, why does moral purity jump out to you so strong as one of these key characteristics? It is lacking today. And how many leaders, even church leaders, suddenly find out, oh, they looked like they were morally pure, but they weren't. Thank you. What else? Character and conduct. Why do you call out that one? Why is that so important? Yeah. Yeah. So it is an unusual thing to have a leader, sometimes even church leaders, who have the character and conduct shaped in the holiness of Christ. Yeah, more. Everybody, what, what words or phrases stand out to you? Spiritual produce. Who said that? Why does that phrase stand out to you? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. So it's spiritual produce of the Holy Spirit. And produce, like a tree, it, it, it takes a while to grow. It's not right away. It's like there's a, but man, when a, a plant is producing beautiful fruit, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And when a sick plant is producing not good fruit, just as noticeable. Spiritual produce. What else? Say again. I still didn't hear it. Oh, reflect. Why does that word stand out to you? Yeah. Yeah, it's our job as leaders to do all those things. The word reflect is pretty cool, by the way. Did you know that the moon is bright in the night sky? But the moon doesn't have any light of its own. It just is there to reflect the rays of the sun that maybe we at nighttime can't even see, and it bounces off that object, and people see the brightness. Same thing with God's glory. Not our glory. We're reflectors trying to bounce off the glory of God. One more. How about balconies? Anybody in the balcony have something you want to shout out? I, I like picking on balcony people, because why do you sit in the balcony anyway? Why, why do you do that? All right. Somebody from the balcony want to shout out? What's one that stands out to you? I shouldn't tease people, Kevin. That's really bad of me. I, I think I've failed in the character assessment right there. <laughs> so, gang, I, I love this definition, and let that just permeate. I'll read it one more time. Leading disciples, Kevin and others, fix their gaze on the holiness of Christ and seek to reflect the holiness in the character and conduct of their own lives. This holiness is a blend of moral purity, spiritual produce, sacred purpose, and transcendent power. Folks, each of those words comes right out of Scripture, and the word holy, let me just take you to a few of those. I'll read these quickly. Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters. Amazing that that title is put on these people. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Luke 9.23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. 2 Timothy 1.9. 
He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because his own purpose and grace. In 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it's written, be holy because I am holy. My freshman year of seminary out in Pasadena, California, Fuller Theological Seminary, Peter Wagner got up in front of this large lecture hall, probably 100 students in there, and it was a Wednesday. And the only reason I remember that is because Peter Wagner stood up, and it was an 11 o'clock class, I think, and he said, as far as I know, I have not sinned today. Seriously, and I appreciate the giggle, because all of us from Reformed background, I was, ah, I'm a sinner, I'm bad, I'm, I, we've, re- we've memorized Tulip, right? I mean, we, we know that. But Peter, at 11 o'clock today, said, as far as I know, I haven't sinned today. And there was a stunned silence, a moment of like, where is he going with this one? Because nobody's supposed to say that they don't sin. Nobody's supposed to say that they're holy. And he went on to say, Wednesdays are my fasting day. And so I try to, as much as I can, keep my mind focused on Christ all day long. So I begin with a lengthy time, a longer than normal time of prayer and devotion, I fast so that the hunger that my body is producing helps me focus on Christ. Even as I drive through L.A. traffic, I try to bless the people who cut in front of me. And as far as I know, I haven't sinned today. And he was describing the process of becoming more holy. And it's fascinating because in church world, it's almost like we're not supposed to talk about it. Here's a question for you. Are you becoming more holy? Is the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work on you being successful. And I sure hope it is. I hope it's happening. And then I hope you say, man, the Holy Spirit's been working on me. I used to be really bad, and now I'm only slightly bad. Uh, I, I think it's okay to brag and talk about it and say, man, the Holy Spirit's just working on me because the sins that used to grip my mind are no longer that way because I no longer live in ignorance. I now live in the grace and the power of the gospel. Are you becoming more holy? The word humble is just as strong. And I grabbed a section from John the Baptist because I think he's cool. Check this out. John 3.26. John the Baptist, the most famous Jewish preacher in his day. Thousands of people coming out from Jerusalem getting dunked by him in the wilderness, including Pharisees and prominent people. John the Baptist was a rock star. John 3.26. Then they came to John, John, John the Baptist's disciples. They came to him and said, Rabbi, The man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, it's Jesus, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. So John the Baptist's disciples are going, oh man, we're not the number one thing anymore. Look at all those people. All the people that were here yesterday, they're all going to Jesus. And you get the sense even in the text that John the Baptist's disciples are like worried about it or like, oh no, they're all going to Jesus. Listen to what John the Baptist says. Verse 27, to this John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This joy is mine, and it is now complete. He, Jesus, must become greater, and I must become less. Humility is wanting Jesus' name to be glorified. Humility is wanting his kingdom and his glory and his preeminence and the popularity to be about Jesus, not you and me as leaders in a human sense. 
Folks, humility is self-evident. Am I right? Nobody goes, oh, I'm the, I'm the most humble person you know. I, I'm probably the most humble person in this whole church. I, the minute you start bragging about how humble you are, not so much. Humility is self-evident. It's never proclaimed. It's never listed on a resume. What are your skills? Well, I'm good at PowerPoint and this, and I'm very humble. You, just, you don't list that on a resume. It's just self-evidence. People who are humble value others, esteem others, brag about others, lift up the name of Jesus. And I say that so clearly because not humble leaders you know right off the bat it is so obvious when leaders aren't humble. On the back of your notes, I listed for you several of the factors from 1 Timothy and Titus that lift qualification for elders. And this is a biblical description. It's interesting, though, Kevin, you asked about leadership. None of the lists, on this, none of the things on this list are skills. They're all qualities. They're all things about the person Except for the able to teach. Way at the bottom is the able to teach. I guess you could say that's a skill that they're, they're good at. Or maybe manage their own household. Something that they're actually doing. But all of the things that the Bible talks about leaders are the quality and the characteristics of the person themselves that's been shaped by Christ. And lucky for Kevin and me, the full head of hair is not listed on there. Uh, and I'm grateful. Curry, I'll bet you're super grateful about that. Just saying. All right, who a leader is, holy and humble are great words. Number two, what a leader does. This isn't going to be rocket science, but a leader is someone that influences other people. There's no such thing as a leader that doesn't have people around him or her that have been influenced by their leadership because then they're just a person not influencing anybody. Leaders influence other people. Christian leaders bring Christ-like influence. And there are certainly leaders that are not Christ-like and their influence is not honoring to Christ. Christ-like leaders bring Christ-like influence to people around them. The Bible's pretty clear about this one in Timothy. It's interesting. The chapter after he describes elders and deacons in a church, he goes after young people and says, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example in the, in the, for the believers in speech and life and love and conduct. Meaning, be an influence, even though you're a young person. Our church is reading this book um, called Growing Young. Fuller Institute uh, listed six things that churches do really well that empower young people. Not to just have a cool youth group over there, but to be influential leaders in the church right now. So they'll continue to be influential leaders in the church moving forward. And by the way, leaders learn. Leaders are constantly learning. And send your pastor on conferences. Get books for him. Be in a continual learning mode. And it's just fascinating stuff. So we're trying to reevaluate everything we do to empower and release young people. But here's the point. Young people, you should have a mandate to influence the culture of this church. You should set an example for the believers in speech, life, love, and conduct. Old people... Your job is to influence the next generation. Don't stifle them. Don't belittle them. Don't look down on them because they're young. Your job is to influence them. Old men, old women, your job is to inspire and instill and release the next generation. Don't ever cap them. Don't ever limit them. And don't say the phrase, oh, you're the church of tomorrow. Because that means they're not the church of today, and they want to be the church of today. And I know it's well-intentioned. It's good to say, oh, they're the church of tomorrow. Have them be the church of today. Old men, young women, young men, everybody. 
All right, one last analogy here for you. Leaders are like magnets. You ready for this? Some of you guys played with magnets in seventh grade, and you, you put them together, and like you'd put them on your table, and all of a sudden this guy over here would go, and it would be like real fast, right? And that was the right polarity. I'm not even going to try to say that I understand how it works, because I don't, but I got a cool image on the screen for you. Oh, look at that. You can't even see it. But anyway, that's polarity. So... <laughs> So leaders are like magnets. They influence people, but they're like a magnetic influence. And if you have the right polarity of a leader, the folks around him or her are going to, and they're going to get attracted to that. They're going to get influenced by it. It's going to be positive. And the good stuff is going to be attracted to a good leader. And watch this. The bad stuff is going to be repelled. Because remember, you turn the magnet around, and all of a sudden you bring this magnet, and you just keep going that way. Kevin, your job as a magnetic influential leader is to positively attract people who are kingdom-minded, Jesus-focused, Holy Spirit-ready, gifted for the body of Christ. Your job is to attract them. But just as much, your job is to push away non-godly activity, sin, or people who have wrong motives. Kevin, as a magnetic leader of influence, use the magnetic orb that you have, and you do, and have that be a holy magnetic orb where you attract the things of Christ and repel the things that have no business being in a church. I want you to be that leader. So what a leader does, they influence people and they impact groups and organizations. And we've stumbled into this already. Leaders have an unusual ability. I guess everybody should be a leader, but an influencer but only certain leaders have the influence where they just they change a whole church's dynamic. They influence large groups of people and a whole church or whole organizations. And your job isn't just to influence a few people around you. Your job is to influence this whole church. Now watch this. I want you, Kevin, to be a loving pastoral caregiver. And I want you to be a very clear, very demanding, and I'll use the word obnoxious, leader. If he doesn't push you, he's not leading. If there's not a little like magnetic pull that's either pulling you in or pushing you away, if he doesn't have a magnetic force about him and he's too nice, he's not going to push this church to where it needs to go. And so in a certain sense, I commend you, brother in the Lord, to be an obnoxious magnetic pusher of your church. Don't let these people sit in the same seats that they always sit in. Now... <laughs> I had a conversation with a few of you who always sit in the same spot. Kids, come on in. Hey, I love it. Kids, you are awesome. We wanted you here for this. Oh, yeah, a round of applause for them. We love our Hope Kids. Absolutely awesome. Kids, sit right in the front two rows. Throw that rope down. Make lots of noise. We want you here. All right. So I talked to some of you in the back row. Some of you have sat in the same seats for the last 20 years. Knock it off. Seriously, well, I feel safe here. I feel comfortable here. I don't think you're supposed to come to church to feel comfortable. I think you're supposed to come to church to hear the word of God that's going to push you. And if you always sit in the same seat, how's that going to happen? Well, I can hear God just fine here. Uh, don't think so. So it's just a little nudge kind of thing. I would encourage you, watch this. Kevin, this isn't part of my script, and I'm going to probably get in trouble for this. Next week, if you normally sit on this side, I double dog dare you to sit on that side. I'm serious. I, I, I'm just balcony people. I double dog here. Front two rows. I'm seriously. Is, as silly as that is, physically changing the place you sit in tells your body and your spirit it's a new day. It's game on. I double dog dare you to change where you've sat the last hundred years to a new spot. 
leaders are going to love and encourage and snuggle with people, and leaders are going to push and challenge and prod people. The magnetic force of a leader is to influence a whole church, which means, Kevin, you need to push past people who are stubborn here. And if you're stubborn because you have a gospel thing and you want to stick to the Bible, that's a good thing. But if you're stubborn just because you're old and crotchety, his job is to push beyond that. His job is to push past people who are stubborn and resistant to positive, kingdom-minded, prayed-through change. His job is to lovingly encourage those who need love and encouragement, but his job is to say, leaders, we're going to lead at a new level. Church, we're going to go to a new bar. We're going for this, and we're not messing around anymore. If church is safe, it probably isn't sanctified in the spiritual mission outpost that it needs to be. So, Kevin, I would encourage you to go after that. Here's what it says in the leadership manual that I gave you on page 9. The type of leadership described in that book, and I think biblically, is one that seeks to gather individuals and teams around a common mission and a vision in order to combine their gifts to accomplish something bigger than they could do on their own. I asked Kevin this morning, when you go to two services, because so many new people are coming to this church a year from now, what times will the new services be? That's a leadership prod. Folks, it's time for this church to have a new day. It's time for you to start planning now for what it's going to be like when they have two services. And what are you going to do with the new people coming to your church and how are you going to assimilate them? And frankly, I love it that a lot of you grew up in this church since you were this high. But if you are not inclusively welcoming the brand new families and people that walk in here and leave your huddle of people you know to go meet the new person who came in, you are not providing what a church is supposed to do. You feel loving and great, but they don't. And Kevin, your job is to push this happy group of been here forever people who sit in the same seats every week to do something new and something different and to go after a kingdom mindset of this church beyond what they even have now. A good leader is going to push and pull in that way, both and. So, number three, the biblical church leadership questions I promised I lived you with. And so you guys just walked in there, man, that guy's going off. He's, he's crazy. Well, here it is. Get ready. Number one. Are all of the people who have the gift of leadership in this church using and deploying them well? Are you all doing that? When I said, do you remember the first time you were called a leader? If you remember the first time you were called a leader, I ask you this question for hope. Are you leading here at this church? And I think that's a good question. People who have the gift of leadership, Romans 12, 8, lead with all diligence. And that means a kingdom-minded leadership role. I don't know where I'm supposed to lead yet, Jeff. I'm a leader, but I don't know where I'm supposed to lead. You're going to go grab Kevin after you have a piece of cake and say, Kevin, I'm one of the leaders Pastor Jeff talked about. I need to lead more in this church. Where do you need me? Influence me so I get aligned well with the vision God's given you for this church. So the first question is, are all the people of the gift of leadership at Hope Church using their leadership gifts well? And folks, some of you are leaders in your business world. It always fascinates me by high-caliber business leaders who lead with diligence at work, but then they come and sit and do nothing in a church. And to me, that's a misuse of leadership gifts if there isn't a kingdom deployment of your leadership gifting. Number two, is Hope Church developing young leaders? Kevin, I want you to get aggressive at developing 
all leaders in your church, especially the young leaders of the church, you should have young people on the stage more. Some of the greeters in the back were, were kids greeting me today, and I love that. They're phenomenal greeters. Kids are so much better at greeting new people than you old stodgy people are. Have your kids greet people. Have your kids do announcements. Have your kids pray more. Have your kids be the primary influence in this church as you move into the next generation. Involve your kids. And number three, are all of your leaders growing in faith, having their eyes fixed on Jesus? And that really is the big question. Are our eyes fixed on Jesus? Do we desperately want his kingdom to come? Are we dissatisfied with any bit of lack that this church has? Leaders are going to fix their eyes on Jesus, and they're going to obsess about how to make this place a stronger kingdom outpost. So, I love it that our kids are here to be part of our closing time today. Kids, the reason we wanted you here today is because Pastor Kevin is getting installed in this church, okay? And that means that he is uh, officially becoming the leader of this church, and it's a pretty cool day. And I wanted you here not just to observe it, but I want you to be part of it. So, kids, could you all stand up? Pastor Kevin, could you stand up? We're gonna transition now to the installation service time. This is pretty cool. And the people whose opinion matters the most are these guys. So, Pastor Kevin, you come on over here and give each one of these kids a high five. I want, kids, I want you to give Pastor Kevin a high five. You can do a high five, you can do knuckles, whatever you wanna do. But these kids being in the front row is awesome. There it is. There it is. Come on. Come on. You guys have a phenomenal group of young people, and they're going to continue to grow and influence and take over this church, and your job is to continue to encourage them and cheer them on and make that happen. Love that. All right. How many of you are here as Kevin's family? How many of you are here Kevin's family supporting him, that sort of thing? Love it. Yeah. Welcome. And Meg, I promise I wouldn't do this. Would you just stand up for a minute, too? Come on, come on. There it is. There it is. Meg, we honor you today, and we're grateful for the influence that you have had and continue to have in supporting your husband. I hang out with Kevin quite a bit, and uh, he speaks frequently and fondly of both your loving care for him, but also the way that you prod him and pray for him. And you are a key asset to this ministry team. So we're grateful for you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So kids, this is going to sound official because we're reading statements that have been used for hundreds of years to have pastors become the key leader of their churches. So as I read this, it's going to sound pretty formal, but the reason is because this is a significant day. So you ready? Beloved in the Lord, we have come to install a minister of word and sacrament in Christ's holy church. Christ alone is the source of all Christian ministry, through the ages calling men and women to serve. By the Holy Spirit, all who believe and are baptized receive a ministry to witness to Jesus as Savior and Lord, and to love and serve those with whom they live and work. We are all ambassadors for Christ, who reconciles and makes the whole world his own. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Following his resurrection and ascension, Christ gave gifts to the church. These gifts were that some would be apostles, 
some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints in the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. We stand with a tradition where God calls and empowers deacons, elders, and ministers of word and sacraments. And as these offices are united in Christ, so also in the church. One office is not separate from the others. The minister of word and sacrament does not serve without the elders, nor without the deacons. Together they enable the whole mission of the church. The classes of Southwest Michigan has approved Reverend Kevin Sanders to be the pastor and teacher of this church. So Pastor Kevin, as you now stand before this body, uh, let me ask you these questions and read this statement. Ministers are called to build up Christ's church. They are to proclaim God's word and to declare forgiveness through Jesus Christ, to call publicly on the name of the Lord, on behalf of the whole congregation, to celebrate Christ's holy sacraments, baptizing, presiding at the Lord's Supper. They are to be pastors and teachers, sharing with people's joys and sorrows, encouraging the faithful, recalling those who fall away, helping the sick and the dying. Kevin, you are here standing before this congregation to be installed as the pastor and teacher here. So all may know that you are both willing and able to accept this call to ministry in Christ Church. The class has asked you to reaffirm your vows you made when you were ordained as a minister of word and sacrament. So you confess together with us that the church throughout all ages, your faith in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Kevin, what is your answer? Yes, truly, with all my heart. Okay. And it's not just Kevin declaring his faith, it's all of us. So would you please stand with me, everybody please stand, and we're going to say the Apostles' Creed. My friends, this creed, this statement, isn't just something we say from memory. This binds us together with the believers from the first century all the way through. This declares what we believe in contrast to what others believe. And I've said this before publicly at our church, no Buddhist will say the Apostles' Creed. They speak of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, an eternal God. No Muslim will say the Apostles' Creed. And while it is not politically correct to define ourselves over and against other religions, the Christian faith and the belief in the Trinity is unique. And declaring a belief in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit means you're not just spiritual thinking there might be a God up there. You know there's a Father, Son, and a Holy Spirit. Declaring the Apostles' Creed sets you apart and sets you in a Trinitarian faith that is unique on this planet. So I ask you and invite you, if you're ready, willing, and able to say the Apostles' Creed from your heart as a statement of your faith, if you're not ready and willing and able to do that, you shouldn't say these words because you're in church and everybody else is. Kids, this is the heart of our faith, and it's on the screen. You ready to go? Here we go. Read it loudly. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 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 You may be seated.
Pastor Kevin, there are several formal questions that every pastor who's become installed has answered affirmatively to. And I'm going to ask you these formal questions. Do you believe in your heart that you are called by Christ's church and therefore by God to ministry of word and sacrament? What is your answer? Yes, truly with all my heart. Do you believe the books of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God and the perfect doctrine of salvation, rejecting all contrary beliefs? Yes, truly with all my heart. Will you proclaim the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, upholding the witness of Holy Scripture against schisms and heresies? I will, and I ask God to help me. Will you be diligent in your study of Holy Scripture and in your use of the means of grace? Will you pray for God's people and lead them by your own example in faithful service and holy living? I will, and I ask God to help me. Will you accept the church's order and governance, submitting to ecclesiastical discipline, should you become delinquent in either life or doctrine? I will, and I ask God to help me. Yeah, and as a classless leader, that's the most important one right there. I'm just saying, <laughs> Kevin, I love your heart, and you are a holy, humble leader. And I'm grateful that you say these answers, and I know where they come from. And I have two more. Will you be loyal to the witness and work of the Reformed Church in America, using all your abilities to further its Christian mission here and throughout the world? I will, and I ask God to help me. And Kevin, this is the one I asked you to respond just from a personal place. Well, listen to the beauty of this last question. Kevin, will you strive to fulfill faithfully and diligently and cheerfully all the duties of a minister of Christ to preach the word of God in sincerity, to administer the sacraments in purity, to maintain proper discipline in the household of God, and to shepherd the flock faithfully? What is your answer? So to answer this question share with you all a bit of my heart. Being a pastor is not just what I do, it's who I am. And God has called me into this, and as I look out and I see people from every stage of my life, I see the ways God has brought me to this moment. And I celebrate that. And I celebrate that God has taken this tiny little 5'8", 100-pound guy who's losing his hair, what's that about? by the way. I think it's a wisdom thing. It's a sign of wisdom. <laughs> and he has equipped me with gifts to lead for such a time as this here at Hope. And since Meg and I have come into this family, we use that word a lot because that's what it is. And it did not take us long at all to feel like a part of this family. Not only that, I have been encouraged here to lead you have given me that freedom to lead, and you may not know this, I didn't have a lot of confidence in my leadership ability when I started here three years ago. But God is gracious, you are gracious, and we have all grown together, and I believe we have the best years of ministry ahead of us. And I'm humbled and honored to be a part of what God is going to do here. So my answer I forget, is it a will or a yes question? I will, and I ask God yeah, to help me. Yeah, I certainly will. Yeah, that's right. And I ask God to help me. Pastor Curry? Go ahead and have a seat for just a second, if you will. There are some very <clears throat> sanctified words of liturgy and an official charge that we'll give in just a moment, but you gave me the freedom to say 
few words of my own, which I guess that makes them unsanctified. I don't know, but we'll, we'll do our best. <clears throat> First of all, it is good to be with you, and I use that word good in a biblical sense. I want to publicly again one more time commend your leadership, your consistory, and your transition and search team for diligently and prayerfully pursuing a process until it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to you. Because you all did that, we're here today because it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And we are here. And in that sense, it is good to be here. Kevin, your, your role changes. You put on a new mantle. And some days it will be a heavier mantle. So I just want to offer you a word of advice that I guess comes out of my own wrestling with, as a pastor for all of these years. I say all of these years because I guess I'm now the real wise one, right? Okay, that's good. <laughs> and I guess I would summarize it under the umbrella of remember who and whose you are, and that will give you your priorities. First, you are a Christian, and you belong to Jesus Christ, and therefore you need to continue daily to build your relationship with him. I know you do that diligently, I also know that there will be days and weeks and seasons when it will be very difficult to do. But I would encourage you to do it and honor having a Sabbath. It may not occur to many here, but for pastors, Sunday is not a Sabbath. It's a day of work. And so the challenge is to find another Sabbath and to do that diligently. That's above all your first priority and everything else flows out of that. Second priority is that you are a husband and a father, and you belong to your family. There are, I was going to say three, I guess three and a half, four people at home <laughs> who wait for you, who love you and adore you. And Scripture is very clear about, in order to lead the church, you must lead your family. Give them the time that they deserve. Continue to honor and to love them. And after those two things have happened, there's a third priority, and that is that you are that pastor in an official position, not as a person, but in a position as the pastor of this congregation. It would be very tempting during some of the seasons of ministry for number three to become number two and sometimes even number one. Fight it diligently because you are above all Christ, your families, and then the relationship with this congregation and this church. That having been said, if you would please stand again. <clears throat> Beloved servant in Christ, be attentive to yourself and to all the flock given to your care by the Holy Spirit. Love Christ, feed his lambs and his sheep, be an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. Attend to reading, prayer, study, preaching, and teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Put these things into practice, devote yourself to them, so that all may see your progress. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Continue in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. Kevin Gard would have been entrusted to you, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will win the crown of glory that never fades away. Now a charge for the congregation. Again, before the, the formal words, I have just one charge for you. And that is above and beyond all of the questions you'll be answering in just a moment. 
Help Kevin keep those three priorities. Guard him carefully. For he can be of greatest value to you when he follows those priorities. Let me share with you just one personal story which brought it home to me late into my ministry. When I came to Hope Reformed Church in South Haven to serve, one of the things they talked about was when is, what is, when do you take off? And I said, well, I, I always take Saturday off. And they said, just one day? And I said, well, I try to take Friday too if I can. And they said, no, you, you take two days off. I said, you need a weekend too. So Friday. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll reserve it. If I need to do something, I'll, I'll do it. But otherwise, I'll take Friday off. For the first year of my ministry, the vice president of the consistory would come on Fridays to the church under the guise of going to his church mailbox. But so he could walk down the hallway and peek in and see if I was there. And if I didn't have a good reason to justify being there, I got sort of a holy chiding from him. <laughs> and that became so important to me that eventually, uh, Barb and I, uh, Barb's my wife, by the way, so we don't sp spread any rumors here. Barb and I would, <laughs> would take Friday morning and go out for breakfast. So even if I did have to do some catch-up on Friday, I had that reminder that this was that special day. And it's something we have continued to do to today. So in whatever way you do it, be sure you help him and support him in following the priorities that we have laid out for him. And now the formal sanctified words, which are so wonderful and beautiful, I would ask if you're a member of the Congregation of Hope Reformed Church to please stand. Several times throughout this, I will say, what is your response? And your response will be, we do. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you receive in the name of the Lord this servant, Reverend Kevin Sanders, to be your pastor and a teacher? What is your response? Do. do you promise to receive with meekness and love the word of truth he proclaims? What is your response? Do. do you promise to honor his authority, welcome his pastoral care, and follow as he guides you in serving Jesus Christ, the only head of the church? What is your response? Do you promise to encourage and pray for him, to labor together in obedience to the gospel for the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ, the unity, purity, and peace of the church, and the welfare of the whole world? What is your response? Do you promise him such financial and personal support that he shall serve among you with joy and not with grief as long as you covenant together? What is your response? Please remain standing, and I'm going to conclude this time. And uh, everyone, would you stand up for this closing time? And worship team, you guys can come forward. This is kind of the ceiling of the partnership and relationship you just stated. And uh, yeah, worship team, you guys can come forward, and Allison, you can come up as well. So beloved people of God, receive with joy your minister in the Lord. Remember, God speaks to him, speaks to you through him. Receive the word he shall preach to you as it is truth, the word of God. Respect those who labor among you. Esteem them highly in love because of their work. Let those who preach the gospel of peace, bring good news and announcing salvation, be beautiful and pleasant to you. So, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the authority of the classes of Southwest Michigan, I now declare that pastoral relationship between Reverend Kevin Sanders and Hope Reformed Church is fully constituted and that the Reverend Kevin Sanders is duly installed pastor and teacher of this church. Thanks be to God. Yeah.
I, if you guys can't see this, but these kids made a cute Hey, kids, banner. come stand up here. Come here, come here, come, says, here, come here. It says, congratulations, right Pastor here. Kevin. Right here, that's awesome. You need to stand right here as uh, Pastor Allison wraps up here. <laughs> I'm, I'm calling it now. That's a prophetic word. Come on. Yikes. Right okay. here, kids. Can you stand right here? Right here on the stage. Awesome. We, we might go. need a couple more kids there. I'm not sure. You kids are awesome. Yeah, stand on this side because that way. You... Hey, why don't we do this? Pastor Kevin, why don't you sit down on this front step? And then kids, why don't you come up Ooh, and just lay your hands upon Kevin? There we go. There if we go. If you can't reach him, just put your hand on your friend's shoulder. Mm. And we're going to pray for him. We're going to pray for the church. We're going to pray for their family. Um, and I have the honor of saying this prayer. So will you play with, pray with me? And then at the end, um, I'll invite you to join me in the Lord's Prayer, and that will be on the screen for you. Pray with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, today we celebrate and thank you for your faithfulness to Hope Church. For decades, you have guided our steps, and we ask for your continued guidance as we step into a new chapter today. Lord, be with Hope Church as you've called us to love you and love our neighbors here in Westwood. Give us fresh vision and courage so that we can be a church that boldly goes after the lost in your mighty name. Stir in us a longing to see more souls won for you. Convict and compel us to do more in your name for others. Give your grace to this congregation. Strengthen us as we labor together and preserve us in your peace. Lord, inspire your whole church with your spirit of power, unity, and peace. May every grace of ministry rest on Pastor Kevin. Lord, we ask that you continue to equip Pastor Kevin for the calling that you have placed on his life. Give him your wisdom and boldness to lead and guide us as a church. Keep him strong and faithful, and may he herald the joy of your kingdom, serving rather than being served. Lord, protect the Sanders family. Help them to stand firm with the belt of truth, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with their feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Lord, also help them to daily take up the shield of faith so that they can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. May they confidently wear the helmet of salvation and use the sword of the Spirit, your word. Lord God, unite us, unite the Sanders family in ministry and in the pursuit of you. Give grace to all who proclaim the gospel through the word and sacrament and deeds of mercy, that by teaching and example, others may come to live for you. Comfort and deliver, O Lord, all who are in trouble, sorrow, poverty, sickness, and who are grieving. Heal them in body, mind, and spirit and circumstance, working in them by your grace, wonders beyond their dreams and hopes, through Christ Jesus our Savior, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the 